This is episode number 154 with business coach and host of the Entree Leadership Podcast, Alex Judd. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to give you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you my good friend, Alex Judd. Alex is a business coach with Ramsey Solutions, which is a Dave Ramsey company. Alex has been the host of their prominent podcast in the business and entrepreneurship space called the Entree Leadership Podcast. Alex has interviewed some of the most legendary names in thought leadership and in business leadership, such as Seth Godin, James Clear, Jocko Willink, and many more. In this interview, Alex talks about the two things that all of them have in common, and he talks about how we ourselves can go about acquiring these two traits. Alex talks about the skills that the best version of himself has that he is currently working on, the ability to not care as much what other people think about him. We discuss in depth about how we can go about doing that and also where to draw the line before we go too far with not caring. Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag Alex at Judd on the run to let us know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member during these surreal times. Because look, these are the times when you really see what you're made of. These are the times when you get to show yourself your resilience. You get to show yourself how you handle a challenge head on. Be a champion during this time and be positive. Take daily small steps towards success and bring others along with you. And if you're looking to get some workouts done at home with no equipment, go to www.nickcarrier.com slash fitness and pick up my ebook, The Bodyweight Grind, that's just $10. It's a four-week bodyweight workout program that is perfect during these times of challenge. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with my good friend, Alex Judd. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super excited today because we got a really special episode with Alex Judd, and we're here at Ramsey Solutions in the Entree Leadership Studio, so in a really cool studio, not just in my bedroom. Um, so <laughs> really, a really special episode today, so I just want to start off by saying, uh, Alex, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, Nick. We're excited about this. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. So Alex is a business coach with Ramsey Solutions, uh, which is a, Dan's, a Dave Ramsey company, or has been a business coach as well, and he's currently the host of the Entree Leadership Podcast, which exists to help leaders, entrepreneurs, and small businesses win and, and get ahead and everything like that. And I love the podcast. I've been listening to it um, a lot here the last month or two um, to help to help myself and in, in my own business uh, and help my, myself thrive. Um, That's so awesome. Thanks for all the uh, great messages there. Um, and we're going to get a little bit into the background, but first I want to start off by you started as the host back in August this yeah. last year, right? Mm -hmm. So relatively new at it. What since August has been the biggest lesson that you've taken and then started to apply in your life over these last number of months? Mm. Since starting interviewing people? Yeah, since starting interviewing, since starting being the, the podcast host. That's a really good question. Um, first of all, I'm super grateful to do this. I'm really excited about this. I think whenever I started in August, um, quite frankly, I was a little bit in awe of the people that I was quote unquote getting paid to talk to, right? Like I would pay to talk to these people. Right. So the fact that I'm getting paid is insane. And so to a degree, a little bit, I was having like fanboy moments every single week as we were recording these conversations, because these are like my heroes from the business and leadership world. But as that kind of calmed down a little bit and I started to realize like, okay, you can hang with these people. You can have a conversation. I think there were probably two things that really, really started to stand out as being trends and themes from everyone that I was talking to. And we talked to high-performing CEOs. We talked to entrepreneurs. We talked to world-class authors and thought leaders. And I think the two things that really started to stand out is that, number one, they were all remarkably different. Like, personality-wise, they like they all expressed their personality and communication style and did all of these different things in very, very different ways. But I think especially the interviews that we've done that have been exceptional, 
the thing that stands out is that they are all world-class experts at being themselves. Mm-hmm. And that power of authenticity has just hit home over and over and over again. I think today, like you and I, young people, we've got BS meters like nobody's business, right? Because we live in, in a marketing world where everyone's trying to sell something at us. And it seems like the people that are winning are the people that we can trust to be authentic. So that was number one. And then the second one is just like the theme is dogged persistence, man. Mm. Like every single one of them have encountered obstacles, have encountered challenges, have hit a blocker in route to pursuing their dream. And they just were the people that kept going. Yeah. And well, that, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to, uh, I was going to go back into your your personal life from here, but I'm going to wait because I'm, I'm too, <laughs> now I'm just intrigued on, on these deal. two things. So authenticity is the first thing that you said. Yeah. Everybody is a master at being themselves. And I think that's a kind of a thing that takes a lot of bit of t- a lot of time and a lot of experience. Yeah. But what are some things that we can do like now early on in our lives to try to like speed up that process or try mm. to make sure that process happens in the best way possible, I guess. Yeah, that man, I don't know that I'm the expert to be able to answer this question. It's such a weird paradox. Uh, in that the harder you try to be yourself, the worse you become sometimes. And sometimes it's like the people that I look up to most are the ones that just have a really loose grip. And almost it's like their posture is a posture of surrender. Um, There was a guy that spoke at our summit event. It was probably about two or three years ago. His name's Alan Mulally. I don't know if you know that name. He's he he was the CEO that turned around Ford. Ford Mm. was losing billions on pace to losing trillions of dollars a year, and he was a CEO at Boeing. Boeing was excelling. It was uh, I mean, it was doing really really well. And he stepped over to and stepped into Ford and said, "I'm going to turn this thing around," just because he felt like Ford was an American icon. Like it felt like it was a brand he wanted to turn around. Well, he came and spoke at our conference and we were wondering like, is this guy going to appeal to small business owners? Cause he's a multi-billion dollar CEO. Like is the, is the owner with 10 team members going to be able to connect with this guy? And we were really concerned about that. And he gets on stage and I kid you not, he was the most relatable person on a stage probably that I've ever seen. Like he was so likable and you just realized, and I think I've learned this from Dave too and working with him, he was just so comfortable in being in his own skin. And he had done the hard work of knowing his leadership style and he wasn't getting on that stage trying to impress anyone or trying to prove anything. Talk about someone that has nothing to prove. And it was like, like I'm going to tell you what I know. And he literally said, everything I know is on one slide and everyone kind of laughed. He's like, you think I'm joking, but here's the slide. And he was like, everything that I know is on this slide. And he was so chill. And I watched the room respond to that. He was not the greatest communicator in the world. He was not super polished or flashy or anything like that. The room was in the palm of his hand and it was because they trusted him. And so I think the first thing I would say is like, start to have a loose grip on needing to prove anything to anyone or needing to impress anyone and start to do the hard work of just saying, who am I? And then live out of that place. And whether people are like it or not is not the outcome that you're looking for. It's are you being aligned with, to your point, the best version of who you feel you are called to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. I like what you said to kind of start it off when you said that the harder you work at it, sometimes... Um, the harder it is to actually be authentic. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to be myself yeah, right now. It's right? Like that, that, that's pretty tough. You yeah, know? exactly. And so I, I interviewed a, a real estate agent, and one of the things that he said when he started to brand himself that he did really well was making sure that he branded himself like on social media and, and these outlets as authentically himself because if he started acting as in a way that wasn't truly himself, you can't really hold that you can't hold those actions for a long period of time. And he was like, if I show that I am a hustler on the weekends, but like I don't really actually always hustle on the weekends, then a Saturday is going to come up and somebody's going to ask me to show them a house and I'm not going to actually fall through with that. So you have to kind of brand yourself authentically so that you can stay with that, um, stay true to yourself. That's a really good thought. I, I was writing about this the other morning. I was thinking about the fact that you'll you'll hear that phrase a lot of times, and a lot of times this is used in the business world of no one expects you to be perfect. And sometimes that's not true. Sometimes there are people that expect you to be perfect, but the only reason why they expect you to be perfect is because you've taught them to expect that. 
right? Because mm-hmm. like I will try so hard to portray the image of someone that is quote unquote perfect yeah. because I want to hide my mistakes. I want to hide my flaws. I want to hide my vulnerabilities. And so the only reason why they expect me to be perfect is because I've taught them that expectation. But then one day, right, we always teach here that, that dissonance is created when expectations do not align with reality. And one day, if they are expecting perfection because I've taught them to expect that, and then I slip up and there's no way to cover it up, that's going to be a really tough day for them and a really tough day for me. But ultimately, that's not their fault. That's mine. Mm -hmm. Because I've portrayed a brand and an image that is in no way aligned with who I actually am, which is an imperfect human being. Yeah, I love that phrase. Dissonance is created when expectation doesn't match reality. And I just heard a quote, I think, yesterday that – an expectation that is not communicated is just a thought, yeah, and it, yes. it, it can't stay a thought. I, I want to go back to him as a speaker real quick. That you said he was really relatable and really mm-hmm. likable, and I think that's kind of a big thing, a, a commonly used phrase with people on social media and just kind of like personalities in general. Yeah. We they want to make sure that they're relatable. So, what were the things that maybe he was saying or the things that he was communicating that made him relatable to the audience? Was it he was talking about his struggles or what exactly? What were those things that he was communicating? Um, that's a really good question. I haven't thought super intensely about that. I think he didn't have a ton to prove. And I think what made that stand out is like his presentation wasn't ultra polished. Like he, he was saying, um, and, uh, every once in a while, but he was speaking from his experience and because he was speaking from his experience and he was telling where he had failed and where he had messed up, um, people, People admire us for our achievements. They connect with our imperfections. Hmm. And he he knew that, right? And he was going to communicate about his imperfections. The same thing goes for Dave here, right? He is now a multi-million dollar CEO that talks to a bunch of people that are really in debt. And and the reason why they talk to him is because they find him relatable. Like he's a multimillionaire, yeah. but the reason why they find him relatable is because he talks about the story of when he was broke. Mm-hmm. And, and he talks about the mistakes that he made. And he talks about the areas where he fell into a pit and screwed up. And he says, I've done stupid. I have a PhD in D-U-M-B, right? But people connect with that stuff. And I think the same was true from, for Alan. Like I left that conversation with Alan Mulally I came into it thinking like, this guy is going to be really impressive. He's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. He's responsible for so many people. He turned turned around one of the most iconic brands in the world. And I left thinking like, oh my gosh, he's kind of a normal guy. And you know how much hope that gave me? Right. Because it's like, oh my gosh, well, if he's, a, if he's a normal guy, if he's a superhero, then I will have left thinking, man, that Alan is so amazing. But if he's a normal guy, then I'm like, well, what could I do? Because I'm a normal guy. And if he's a normal guy and he did that. So I think it's just like he, he highlighted the fact that he was human. Mm. And whenever you're on a stage in front of 4,000 people and you've got light shining on you and you've got these massive screens with your face on it, all that is working against you coming across as human, right? Because it literally portrays you as superhuman. And he just took like 20,000 steps backward and just said, I'm a human being just like you. And this is what I did. And it kind of worked out for me, I'd say so. And so you can do this as well. Yeah, I really like that. He, like you said, he just portrayed essentially everything wrapped up, portrayed that he's human and portrayed that he has his flaws and everything like that. And so I really like sticking on this topic because I think a lot of times, like a very common question that people might ask you is like, what are the similarities that people have that come onto your show? But it's like, what allows them to have that similarity? So like, that's why I asked the question of like, how can we be authentic? Because we want to, because we're looking for a similarity amongst them all. And then we're trying to figure out how can we be that way? So that deeper question of why they're that way or how they got that way, I think is really important. And so the second one you said is they have a dogged persistence, Yeah, they're super hardworking. So what do you think allows people to just like keep going on the grind, keep going on the grind, despite like it seeing like, seeming like their goals are so far away. Like what is the thing that, you think allows people to gain persistence? Mm. Single-mindedness. Um, I think that's something that I've tried to take from the people that I get to talk to and apply to my own life. Meaning? Um, meaning having a crystal clear vision of where you're going, right? We A lot of times we admire people for their strategy, but a strategy can only be as clear as the vision that it is pursuing. Mm. 
And uh, a lot of us have an ambiguous strategy right now. Like we lack focus. And the reason why we lack focus isn't because we don't know what we could do or what we should do right now. It, it, it's just that we don't have any clue where we're going, right? If I, if I tell you, hey, let's go on a trip. Well, where do you want to go? To the Northeast. There's a billion different ways to get to the Northeast. If I say I want to go to 6th Street in New York City, there's one pretty clear way to get there. Yeah. And like, honestly, I took, I took that recognition from all of those people um, that I've gotten to talk with and interview and realize they've got dogged persistence and that's related to them having a clear, single-minded vision. And I applied that to my career and I said, I need to have a cl clear, single-minded vision. And it was in that realization that I started telling myself and telling people that my vision for my career is I want to communicate, teach, write, lead and work with people and make a living doing it, mm. right? That became my vision. And, and then like, if that's the vision, the strategy is just like, okay, what do we need to do to get there? Yeah. And hurdles, of course, they're going to happen. Obstacles, of course, you're going to hit them. Politics and drama and, and step backs and pitfalls. Yes, of course, right? It's expected. And mm -hmm. so when you hit those things like, well, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen, but the vision isn't changing, right? The vision is immovable. The strategy is movable and adaptable. Yeah, I love that. Um, I don't know. If, do you know who Rory Vaden is? Uh, yes. He, yeah, And he lives in this area, he right? Does, he yeah. does. He mm -hmm. does. And he said, I heard him on... Um, a podcast not too long ago, and he talked about that exact same thing. He said that a lot of people think that we struggle from a lack of discipline, when in reality, we struggle from a lack of vision. And the mm -hmm. amount of the endurance that you have with your discipline is directly related to the amount of vision or the clarity of vision that you actually have. And I think that's exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. I, I was talking to a group of people this weekend and we had, we talk a lot about discipline, right? As being this thing that we all want and we should all want discipline, right? There's something very, very powerful. And that's something uniquely that human beings have that dogs and chimpanzees and cats don't, right? They're not going to apply themselves to a long-term plan. They're just going to go eat their food and sleep, right? Mm -hmm. We can apply ourselves to a long-term plan. I think discipline gets you started. Habits keep you going. Mm -hmm. And so like, do you brush your teeth every night? Yeah. Okay. Thank goodness, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Put um, me on the spot. There. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank goodness you didn't say no to that question. Yeah. So when you tell me you brush your teeth every night, I don't look at you and say, man, that Nick, that guy is disciplined. Right. That guy. And you don't look in the mirror brushing your teeth and you say, I'm in the grind right now, right? This yeah. is it. This is discipline. <laughs> this is, no, you brush your teeth because that's what people like you do, right? Mm. And so, yes, it probably as a kid, you probably had to build that discipline and your parents probably built that discipline for you by mm -hmm. disciplining you to to brush your teeth, but now it's habit. And the same thing is true for, for us as high-performing human beings is that we need to start with the discipline and say, okay, I'm going to apply myself to this thing. But after you apply yourself and you exert your will on a thing over an extended period of time, it's not like for the rest of your life, it's going to take an insane amount of discipline to start thinking and doing certain things. It's habit. It becomes like brushing your teeth, and that's a powerful day. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really important thing, and I hadn't really necessarily thought about it exactly like that. Like the amount of energy that you have to put to discipline yourself to do something decreases when it becomes a habit. Like you still have to like uh, I have to brush my teeth, but you don't have to like put that much energy towards doing it. You'll fall through with it. Yeah, it exactly. Is such a habit. Um, so now let's get back a little bit into okay. you. Yeah, so yeah. you graduated uh, from University of Texas in, in Hook 2014. Horns. Hook yep. horns. Uh, so we we. <laughs> Talked a little bit about clarity of vision, and you majored in uh, corporate communications. Yeah, you've and done your research, man. Of course. <laughs> I don't know that I would have been able to answer that question, so that's good <laughs> that you knew that. <laughs> um, so, and I think a lot of people out of high school, out of college, in further on, suffer from clarity of vision. Mm -hmm. So, when you were graduating from University of Texas, what did your future look like in your eyes? Like, did you have a, a clear idea of kind of where you wanted to start and where you wanted to go? And then, and then after that question, kind of like, what was your first thing out of college? That's a really good question. Um, it's one of those things that I think it was kind of always in the back of my head. And I, I'm not positive. I think that is true for everyone whether they know it or not, that there is something in their heart and something in their head that it's not necessarily a career path that they're thinking of, but they know what they love. Yeah. And I remember in second grade, I was sitting in my parents' bedroom as my mom was folding laundry and I was sitting on the floor and I remember looking at her and telling her, you know, I think it'd be cool one day, like I don't want to be a motivational speaker, but I think it would be cool one day to be a motivational teacher. 
second freaking grade. Like, what, what? on earth? Yeah. If I was a parent, I'd be like, who is this <laughs> well, guy? And, well, she, I, I think she legitimately said, she said, well, you should go do something, Alex. Like, Did like, you actually say those words, like I, motivational? I said not motivational speaker. And the reason why I didn't want to be a motivational speaker is because I felt like that was cheesy. Yeah. And But I said, I think a teacher that actually gives people, like, the ability to do something, I was like, I, like that's cool. It's like, what on earth? Like, crazy. My mom, she told me recently, she told me, She's like, I remember that. She's like, I remember you saying that. And she's like, the first thought that went through my head is like all those motivational speakers and teachers out there that it's like they had their legs chopped off or something. And that's what made it. And she's like, what is this kid going to go through? Oh, my gosh. He's going to have some traumatic experience. But all that to say, I think it was there. Like, I think it was there a long, long time ago. And I think for, for everyone, I am of the belief that we are all wired to do something, right? And we have passions and gifts and we have things that we love and that we know make us come alive. And some of those are meant to be hobbies. Some of those are make, meant to serve people. Actually, I would take that back. I believe every single gift is meant to serve people. Mm. And so I kind of knew that in the back of my head. That kind of goes underground and goes away for a little bit. It was always in the back of my head to the point where it's like anytime we'd have a seminar at school or anytime I'd see a professor give a presentation, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking about how could I do this better? Yeah. But I would never tell anyone that. And I think that's a lot of us. We have a dream. The question is, do we have the courage to start telling people that dream? And I would say I probably went, I mean, gosh, it was probably 15 15 to 18 years before I worked at that courage. I wasn't telling anyone about it. Um, So then in college, my strategy was I I truly – I'm really nerdy. And I came up with a strategy in college that my strategy for where I was going was going to be I'm going to love what I do. I'm going to be really stinking good at it, and I'm never going to close myself off to opportunity. Love what you do, where you are today. Not Because I would see all these people that it's like they were becoming a biochemical engineer, but they hated their biochemical engineering classes. And it's like that – I, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, right. if you don't love it right now, what makes you think you're going to love it just because you're getting paid $100,000 to do it? I don't think that works. So I'm going to love what I do. I'm going to do it really stinking well because that's going to create a path and I'm never going to close myself off to opportunity. That was the vision at that point. And then out of college, like that landed me doing some leadership development stuff and speaking stuff. So I think that was the extent of the vision at that time, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I really liked what when you said when you – watched your teachers or when you watched other people, you would think to yourself, how could I do that better? Mm -hmm. And I think that like, if people are self-aware enough, I think a lot of people ask themselves that question when they're watching their passion, but they don't necessarily know what their passion is. Mm -hmm. But I think that like, if you ever find yourself doing that subconsciously, be like, maybe that's the thing I should go pursue and go learn more about and dive into a little bit. That's a great, I hate watching basketball, right? (laughs) I won't do it. I don't even find myself watching basketball unless I don't even get started on professional baseball, right? I just don't, like I will play those, but I don't watch them. And it's because like, I'm not interested in getting better. I'm not even decent at those things. And so it's like I, my mind is not engaged by watching those things. Now, the people that I know that love like love playing basketball, mm-hmm. a lot of times they also love watching basketball because they're doing exactly what you're talking about. That's a passion that they have and they're watching how could I take from this? Yeah, I think that was I think that's such a gr- like eye-opening thing to me because I know I do that too with some things and I'm like I could be doing that better or how could I do that better? That yep. sort of thing. All right, so you basically found, ended up finding your way as the uh, as a business coach here at Entree Leadership back mm-hmm. in 2016. Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay, yep. awesome. Gotcha. So early on, maybe what were some of those things as a coach that you felt there was like a gap between knowledge and being able to help others? Was there anything that like any piece of knowledge that you had to gain from experience or that you had to gain from a mentor? that really helped you excel and and get to the next level in terms of being a good coach? Yeah. um, I had the perception when I got here that if you're going to be a coach, it means that you're going to have all the answers. And in reality, being a good coach means you know when and how to ask the right questions. And um, because a good coach pulls what is already inside of you out of you and gets you to buy in to the next step, Hmm. right? And so we've all had teachers that tell us what we need to do next, 
right? And to varying degrees of dis- uh, success, compare, like depending on how persuasive the teacher is, that's not a, what a coach is designed to do. The coach is designed to put you in a position where you bring the best out of yourself and then just provides those guidelines along the way. But I'll tell you, like whenever I would get on coaching calls, whenever I first started, it was like a lecture, right? Because I felt like I had to have all the answers and, and like I needed to present to these people. I needed to perform for these people. I needed to impress these people. And it was probably about a year in that someone gave me the advice. They, they were, it's exactly what we talked about at the beginning. They're like, loosen the grip, just calm down a little bit. It's going to be okay. Maybe have three cups fewer of coffee every morning, <laughs> right? And they just said, just let the game come to you. And just be intentional about listening to what the person is saying. And when a person says, like, I was on a coaching call the other day and someone like was going through this problem and like they were talking about it super logically and it it was this pretty type A personality CEO and he has a team of I think like 20 or 25 people and he was going through the the problem super type A and then he said like he said something and breezed past and he said like I'm just terrified about the fact that it could do this and I just stopped him real quick and I said you just said the word terrified Uh, what does that mean? And he paused and it was like the tone of the conversation changed because terrified conveys emotion. It doesn't convey logic. And he said, he's like, I think I've been scared about if I make this decision, what are the ramifications of it for me, but also for other people. Hmm. And the entire conversation changed and it had nothing to do with what I told him. It just had everything to do with listening and then saying, Hey, did you realize you just said this? I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. Yeah. I think, uh, asking the right questions is, is super important, but you have to like come from the place of like humility, realizing you don't have all the answers. And I feel like that kind of goes back to what you were talking about with um, the the speaker Malali, Alan Malali. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it makes you relatable because I think that people don't always expect you to have all the answers. I think sometimes they're okay to be willing to work through the and find a solution with you. Yeah. And then that way they take more ownership for the actual solution themselves anyway. Yeah, uh, I was talking to a, a client that I've worked with for a very long time now, probably two or three years. And um, she told me the other day, she's like, Alex, I'll be quite honest with you. When I connected with you initially, my first thought, because we do video calls, she's in Montana. And she said, my first thought was, I think my business is older than my coach. <laughs> and oh my she, gosh. the crazy thing is she was right. Yeah. And so she was like, uh, she's like, what is this? And now we have, I mean, we have this unbelievable friendship. We also have this unbelievable working relationship, but that did not come to your point from me knowing all the answers. Right. It just came from me being able to listen and mirror back to her what she was saying so that she can figure out the solutions that were already inside of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're you're talking to a lot of different leaders with with people, and I think like communication is over the, uh, one huge overarching skill that yeah. all leaders need to try to develop. What have you found through conversations with these leaders from either podcasting or from the coaching calls and stuff like that? How they can best find the way to make their employees tick and the other people around them tick. Like what kinds of conversations do they have with the people that work under them? What kind of conversations do they have the people that work around them or maybe what questions do they ask them? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I can speak to what I've seen works here and works with the small business owners, uh, that we serve around the country, I guess. And then honestly, though, I think this is a personal development thing too. This is something that I focus on a lot as well is if you, and it ties again, back to your first question, if you as an individual can answer the questions, why do I exist? Where am I going? And what do I stand for? Why do I exist? Where am I going? What do I stand for? And then you communicate in alignment with those three things repeatedly and consistently people start to respond to that. And and especially in an organizational context, if you get crystal clear on why do we exist, where are we going, and what do we stand for, we call those mission, vision, and values here, but you can also have them personally, then the message that you are sending to everyone in the building, whether it's 900 people like where we are now or whether it's five people in a startup operation, is people like us do things like this. 
That's a Seth Godin line. Mm. And that's a powerful day because if you think about any of the great sports teams you've been a part of or the great organizations or the great projects you've ever worked on, there was a there was a culture, there was a shared values and behaviors where it wasn't like it was like some huge effort to get everyone on the same page. It's just like, no, we trust each other because people like us do things like this. And so I guess from a communication perspective is figure out why do we exist? Where are we going? What do we stand for? And then talk about those three things over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about in terms of clarifying expectations, because I think if you lay out those three things, mission, vision, mission, vision, and values, then people kind of know what the expectation is. And when they have a clear vision of what the expectation is, then they can better grasp what they what they need to do, what actions they need to take in order to align with that. And it's really funny, sticking with this expectations things, I interviewed uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, the yeah. son of uh, Stephen Covey. The oh, how is that? Habits. Pretty awesome? Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome guy. He's uh, author of the book called The Speed of Trust. And he talks about uh, a story with his son about clarifying expectations. So like his son... They they're like your driver's license is not um, a right. It's a privilege, right? And so if you do something wrong, you're going to get the driver's license taken away. That that expectation was laid out there for them. And then he got like this excessive speeding ticket, and he took his driver's license away because he had to follow through with the expectation. And because he had left led that led with the expectation, the son just sees it as something that should happen as the result of what he did rather than his father being like a mean person. Mm. And so I feel like that goes to like, as a leader, clarify the expectation because then if someone doesn't meet it, then they don't see it as like, this is a mean boss. This is a mean leader. They see it as I just didn't follow through. And I think that gap is huge. Yeah, I uh, I, I do triathlons and my, my first Ironman that I ever did, I'm so thankful someone gave me this advice. It was probably about three weeks before the race. And they said, Alex, uh, like, just know what you're getting yourself into, which you've done your training. You've been training for nine months. You're ready for this, but you should go into the race with plan A, plan B, and plan C. Mm -hmm. You have to be absolutely like prepared and planned out, but then you should go in on race day. And before you get in the water, you should set the expectation that all those plans are going to fail. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is exactly what happened, wow. right? Like on the bike, I had my tire pop and and had to sit on the side of the road because my wrench had fallen on the ground. And so I had to wait for a wrench and I was sitting in the sun and then I was getting dehydrated. And then we start the run and literally torrential thunderstorms, like water up to my ankles, like they'd never seen before. There was a tornado warning in the area. And there were people around me during, whenever it was raining that were, that were losing it, yeah, right? Like I'm they sure. were freaking out because it's like, everything's gone off plan right this is horrible this and they were complaining and uh triathletes can be kind of high maintenance as yeah. it is and they were <laughs> just losing it and i was sitting there i was like this is exactly what i expected right and so because it aligned with my expectations i was able to mentally perform better and so i think that goes like set the expectation properly and then make sure that you know like you should go into situations especially if it's a worthwhile pursuit go into situations expecting that it's going to go nothing like you planned because then when it doesn't it's exactly what you expected yeah yeah and another don't want to keep bringing up people i've interviewed <laughs> but it's, another person i interviewed was a, uh, a sports agent and she said that she, her, she was a sports agent for a lot of people, but Billy Horschel, the golfer, was one of her clients. And she said that Tiger Woods gave him a piece of advice that, yes, you need to visualize success, but you also need to visualize failure so you can know how you respond after mm. visualizing it. So you need to visualize yourself missing that putt and then striping a drive right down the middle of the fairway. So I think that kind of just goes to the expectation thing. And that's that seems almost a little bit counterintuitive too. You're right. You're going to visualize missing the hole. Yeah, but I, I feel like there's definitely a balance. You probably don't want to do that too much. <laughs> Tiger Woods has way more credibility talking about that now than he did about two years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so I want to get into a few more things about you. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of us make decisions. Well, we, we are The decisions we make, we make in time hoping for the best in the future. But I want to ask you, is is there a most important decision that you've made professionally up to this point in your life that you that was super important, but you didn't realize the significance of it at the time? Hmm. Is there a decision that I've made 
in my professional career that was important, but I didn't realize the significance of it at the time? That's, That's the correct. question. I think we talked a little bit about it earlier, having the courage to start saying what my dream and vision for my career was. Mm -hmm. um, I was sitting down uh, with someone and it was kind of a mentor type person for me and they uh, cast this vision of a future for me. This was a handful of years ago and, and they were being hyper encouraging and they were saying, Alex, like the sky's the limit, but what they described as the vision of the future for me uh, that they were trying to get my, me bought into was more of a corporate oriented role that uh, like a lot of people out there would be tremendously excited about. And I just realized I was like, that's awesome, but I feel nothing right now. And it was in that moment that I had the courage to look in the mirror finally and say like, the thing that I actually get excited about and the thing that I actually like would absolutely love to do with my career, and I wasn't doing it up to that point, was to communicate, teach, write, lead, and work with people and make a living doing it. And when I said like, okay, people may laugh at you when you say that, but I'm going to start saying it. Uh, I had no idea the ramifications that that would have for my life moving forward. Mm. And I am so unbelievably grateful that I had that recognition at 25. But what I've realized is like the best time to have that recognition of what is your passion and then have the courage to start telling people and then live in alignment with what you're telling people. Like the best time to start doing that was yesterday, right? Yeah. Second best option is right now. Yeah. And so make that decision, figure out what that is. And that's hard work that demands other people in the conversation, but then start telling people about it and then start living in alignment with it. Mm, I love that. I love it. So you, you told, we, we've talked in the past, you have this thing that you've done, I think the last three years uh, called five by five. That's yeah, horrible. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> five at five. Five yeah. at five, five mm -hmm. at five, five miles every single morning. So it's weekdays. It's in January. It's five miles at 5 a.m. every day except Sunday. Okay. Gotcha. So what sparked you to do that initially? Oh man. It was late December, whatever it was, three years ago. This is year four right now. We're in the middle of it. Um, and I was in Houston running, uh, where I grew up running, uh, in Clear Lake, just South of Houston. And I, I literally don't know. I, I like, it felt like a God thing at the moment where it was like, I was running and I was like, what about five miles at 5 AM? And then it was like, what if you did it every day? Well, every day is kind of stupid. So what if you just did what the Bible says and took a break on Sunday and, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. And uh, the first year was amazing. It was horrible, but right. amazing at the same time. And so I've continued to do it ever since. What's the biggest thing that you think you've learned about yourself through doing that over the last three and a half years? Oh, almost four years now. Oh, man, there's so much. Um, Anything that's new this year? Yeah, uh, absolutely there is. Um, this year... I've learned that I have to show myself grace. Um, this year specifically, this January has been the most unpredictable and a um, little bit wild in terms of schedule and travel. And there's times where, and part of my, and we can talk about this more later if you want to, but one of my words for the year is cheerful. And as part of that, like what is the action that supports being more cheerful is prioritizing people. And so there's been some nights where it's like, I'm getting to spend time with someone that I haven't seen for years and they're leaving town tomorrow and I have to choose between, okay, am I going to go to bed early and wake up for five at five or am I going to prioritize people and like not do five at five in the morning? And I, I hate saying no to five at five, not because like I hate it because I know I'm going to have to tell people about it. Right. Right. And then I realized like, okay, number one, you can make up this day in February. Number two, you said you're going to prioritize people and sometimes you have to make trade-offs. And number three, you do have a priority called work that you have to show up for and you can't sacrifice that because you're committed to that and they're paying you to do a good job there. And so there's been, I think, two or three mornings this month where I've had to make those trade-offs and had to say like, I'm, I can't do it this morning, but I'll figure out a way to make it up or something like that. And, uh, 
I didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> it, right. It, it, like uh, nothing happened. People, it turns out people still respect me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and what I realized is like, okay, the only person that's putting pressure on you to do this every single morning is you. And that's great pressure, right? And it's a great goal. And you should pursue that goal and you should hustle and you should push yourself. But if you're getting to a spot where you're about to get sick because you're waking up early to do some made up thing from four years ago, dude, like, let's figure this out. And or if you're sacrificing relationships or work to meet, like, that wasn't ever the goal. The goal was to wake up early, to get closer to God, to get deeper in prayer time, to, to keep myself physically healthy and to set my, the tone for the year. And if I miss one day, I can absolutely still achieve that goal. Mm. Um, that's been really hard to learn. Yeah, I think that that last part, I really like how you added that at the end. I think that when you set a goal, what you have to be also thinking is like, What's the result I want from doing this? Yeah. Rather than just like, and, and and that's when you can evaluate whether or not I need to stick on the plan, the exact plan that I had for myself. Yes. Because like when you set the goal, you have a good amount of perspective, but you that you know that once you're actually amidst the process of of attacking the goal, your perspective can can change. But you have to ask yourself, what's the result I'm going for? is this action still going to align me to get to that result? And so you can still not miss. You can miss <laughs> one. Um, that's really important. But then like kind of what you were saying earlier on, um, like if if you didn't do it one morning, no, nothing was essentially going to happen. <laughs> like not to say that it wasn't a big deal and that people don't care. But like at the end of the day, people don't care. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's – and I don't say that in like a, a cynical way. I say that and. Well, credit to you too. I have not, I have not shared this with anyone up until this conversation, <laughs> and so I'm hoping Sorry. no one listens Sorry. to this, and then I won't have to live with this. <laughs> but, uh, but That's I mean, that, like, uh, honestly, and it's good for me to share that too. We were talking about relatability earlier, right? The thing that I struggle with is if I spend all my time trying to impress people, they will, they will be extremely impressed and not at all connected to me, mm. and that's not my goal. Right, my goal is to be someone that people feel connected to, that they can look into the eyes and that they can share about where they've struggled and they failed. And if I'm not willing to do that on my own, then I'll never have that with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the being okay to admit that or admit that is like a selfless thing because I think it's almost selfish to think that like it's that big a deal that everybody's going to notice if you don't do it one day yes. or something like that. And that's kind of, as you know, I'm trying to get a sub five minute mile as yeah. a current goal of mine. And when I developed like a small, like on the bruise on my foot or whatever, I was like, oh man, everybody's going to notice. And I was like, Nick, get out of your own head. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. Like people are going to ask you like, where, where are you at? But like at the end of the day, nobody's going to care. That's the greatest. Anytime I've decided to take a month or two months off social media, the greatest recognition every single time I've done it is like, no one misses me. Mm. The the world keeps moving on. It's like, wow, like maybe I should just go live in a monastery and just disappear <laughs> off the face of the earth. It's like, it doesn't actually matter that much. But then we can probably start to focus on what's actually important and what's actually contributing to other people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an important thing to distinguish that like people – so you, you don't want to be you don't want to get to the point where it's like people don't notice so it doesn't matter so nothing I do matters yeah. like that's apathy is not the answer yeah 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 you have to uh still like realize that you can have an impact and during doing what you're doing but you yeah I don't really know where I wanted to I go think with, with I, that, I heard but. a quote that said the opposite of love is not hate the opposite of love is apathy right and it's like when we when we decide to stop caring that's when things get really nasty and we can see examples of that in the world today right people stop caring mm-hmm. and and it's like when they stop caring really bad things happen I would rather have a divided country than an apathetic country mm. because the conversation we're having right now is about two groups of people or maybe it's multiple groups of people it's a spectrum but but that are extremely passionate about a vision that they have for the country that they live in mm-hmm. i would way rather have people who are passionate about a vision for the future than people who are apathetic yeah no, i think that's really important too so down to the last couple of questions so we've talked a lot about vision and yeah. so essentially these are going to be related to that so one of the questions that I've started to recently ask myself over the last few months that I've found has been really important is, is going to be this, this one coming right up. And is there a skill or a piece of knowledge 
that the best version of yourself possesses that you don't currently possess? The best version of myself possesses, but I don't currently possess. <sighs> I think the best version of myself really stops giving a crap what other people think. <laughs> um, and just like, well, I guess the one caveat I would provide there, maybe I care about what the right people think. Because I, I think the maybe a selfish approach that is taken a lot today culturally is just forget about all other people. And it's like, well, I believe I'm responsible to other people, right? I believe I'm here to contribute and to serve. And it's not to serve me, it's to serve other people. And so that kind of demands caring a little bit about what the right people think. But I'm here to serve the right people. And I need to be about the business of doing that in the highest and best way possible. And if I'm doing that in the highest and best way possible, then quite frankly, the other people's opinions really don't matter because I'm not here to cater to opinions. I'm here to cater to purpose. And I need to be about the business of pursuing that purpose and let all the chips fall where they may. Yeah. And so I was, ha I was having this exact conversation with somebody last Wednesday over, over coffee. And, and we talked about exactly what you just said, like, don't care what people think, but at the same time, there's got to be a line drawn between like the right people. Or, or and I kind of want to discuss like where that line is before I get into the last question because I haven't thought enough about it to think about exactly like kind of like philosophically what that line should be. But you know, there is people who kind of take it too far mm -hmm. to where like you you can't go. You can go too far with saying, don't give a crap what other people think because you are responsible yes. for other people. So where do you feel like that line is drawn between like the what the what who the right people are and, and how much we should care? The thing, as you were asking that, I've wrestled with this a lot as well. The thing that came to mind, uh, have you ever read a book called The Road to Character by David Brooks? Mm -mm. A phenomenal book. Um, that book and his other book, the, the follow-up book to it is called The Second Mountain. Those two books rocked my world in so many ways. Um, and one of the things he talks about at the beginning of The Road to Character is the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And we spend so much time, energy, uh, effort, manpower, money chasing resume virtues, right? Which these are the things that show up on a resume, right? And it's equated to positional authority, status, influence, net worth, all these things that a lot of us spend a large portion of our career and as a result, our life chasing. And he says, but it's funny that no one in your eulogy will ever talk about your net worth, your position, your status, or your influence. Mm -hmm. In your eulogy, they'll talk about your humility, your loyalty, wow. um, your character, right? Uh, and all the things that your generosity, all the things that made up those things. And so the reason why I bring that up in this context is the people that, that I focus on their opinion are going to be the ones that are there for my eulogy, mm. not the ones who are evaluating my resume. And so I, I want the people who are, there for my eulogy to think the world of me. And I want them to think that because of the impact that I've made on them. The resume, hopefully that'll just take care of itself. Yeah. But it's really easy. I mean, to say that that's figured out, I think that's a tug of war every day, right? Between resume and eulogy. And we've seen people that go all in on eulogy and just completely abandon the resume. And a lot of times those people end up not being very productive, but then we've also all seen the cases. And a lot of times these are on the news of people that go entirely, put all their chips in resume and they end up empty and lonely at the end of their life. And so- Man, that's a that's a tough line to walk. Yeah, no, I really like that distinction a lot. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for your thoughtfulness, first mm. off, because I think that you can tell that anybody listening can tell that you're such a, a deep thinker. Well, and, and, <laughs> I don't and, know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, sometimes you can think too much what you're thinking about, I think, and get in your own head and it can hold you back. But uh, I think there, I mean, there are num numerous times today where, someone who doesn't have confidence mm. in themselves, when I would ask a question, if they don't have a immediate response, 
that they would kind of nervously go after it mm. or nervously try to attempt it. And you could tell that you would take the time to really think about it and try to come up with a truly authentic response based off of your experiences. And I think that's something to be truly acknowledged because of your thoughtfulness and your confidence and, and the courage that you have about yourself. Hmm. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> so I, I want to make sure everybody supports you and, and follows you as much as possible because I know people are going to love this. So make sure you go listen to the Entree Leadership Podcast, anywhere you can find podcasts. It's an awesome show. Have some the best people on. I was just listening to the the James Clear episode on habits. That guy's amazing. Guy's amazing. <laughs> um, where else can people go to find you and support you? Yeah, uh, entreleadership.com is for Entree Leadership. If you want to go check that out, we we exist to serve small business owners. So if you own a small business or want to own a small business, that would be a great place to go. And then I'm at Judd on the run is my social media handles. That kind of makes it sound like I'm a convict that's on the run, but uh, <laughs> it's meant to refer just to, I like to run a lot. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So the last question, I mm-hmm. believe that chasing down the best version of ourself is a constant journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very unique journey. Yeah. I think the way that I'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you become the best version of yourself. So what I want to ask for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best version of yourself, that best version of Alex Judd that you could be, what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? first one would be what we just talked about care about what the right people think second one would be have the discipline to show yourself grace and third one would be let the game come to you well (laughs) <laughs> thoughtful deep thinker right there that's how you finish it off that's awesome <laughs> well now i have to get to work golly <laughs> Nick, well, this is awesome yeah. thank you for having me on you are um you are world class in the way you ask questions so thank you so much <laughs> well i appreciate it alex it was a lot of fun thanks chief there you have it i hope you enjoyed this inspiring episode with alex i absolutely loved his confidence his authenticity and his positive energy that he brought to the show If you enjoyed this episode, then let Alex and I know by sending us a quick DM on Instagram at juddontherun and at carrier underscore best you. Remember to gain clarity on where you're going. The long-term clarity doesn't have to be crystal clear, but it's necessary to get some sort of aim. When you have a long-term aim or long-term goal, it becomes much easier to define what success looks like today. And that's what we need right now. We need to define success today. When you define success today, you'll be able to create a clear strategy in order to get there. To all you listening out there, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. You're using your time wisely during all of this to learn, improve, and grow. You're being proactive to grow yourself now so that you're better equipped when we return to normalcy. So keep on, keeping on, we'll get through this together and we'll be better for it. But for now it's time, it's time to take action to get clear on your vision so you can get closer and closer to your best you.